Josh, I was wondering a couple of years ago, uh, following a win in Kansas City, John Gruden took his team on a, a bus tour around Arrowhead Stadium. Yep. I'm wondering if you would be up to something similar to an excursion like that when you beat the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, we're just, I think we just get on the plane and come back home. Win, lose, or draw, we're going to get on the on the bus and get to the plane and come on back here. We have our we have a short bye week next week, so we can use all the time back here we get. So. Uh, no, we'll, uh, we'll prepare as hard as we can, go out there, put our best out there, and see what happens on Monday. You got it. Thanks. Do you want to go? Or? Oh, you can go. No, I don't to, okay. You know, he kept squirting through there and watched the game. Um, when I got home, when I finally got home, watched the game. You know, again, I, plus I enjoy watching football. You know, so when football's on, I'm usually watching it. You know, you could catch me a Friday night if there's a high school game, I'm watching football. I just, I love the game. It's been giving me so much in my life. And so anytime it's on, I usually enjoy watching it. You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. So Patrick Graham's sitting around watching Gorman. I, I, the reason I enjoy that is that the question was, did you break down the tape for Kansas City? And his response was, I love football. And... <laughs> yeah. Coordinators, they'll say they'll say a lot for the quote sheet, but then you go back and not much. Favorite. Not much no. is usable. No, no, not much is made. They're it very, the they're very good at that. No, nah, you need to you need to have Adam Hill be embedded with him and just have him watch high school football games yes. with Patrick Gray. <laughs> All right, here's a question for you: Raiders got a win on Sunday, but how should they feel about their red zone offense? They had five trips against the Broncos. They only scored two touchdowns. They did score on all, all the trips because they kicked three field goals. Um, but how should we feel? How should we be talking about the red zone offense even after a win? I mean, win? They, they're getting there, right? They're just not capitalizing. They're getting they're getting there. They I think the week before, they were 2-6. Right. They are, they've so been very getting, good. They're getting there. Right. It's very similar to last year where the yardage is very good, the offense is very good until they get inside the 20, and then they they kind of fail. But again, they don't fail in terms of, hey, we turn the ball over. They fail in terms of, hey, we have you to score a touchdown. field goal. This, but see, I think you're thinking of it in, like, inverted. It's the offense is built around Daniel Carlson's leg. <laughs> <laughs> and they have been very successful on executing that plan. So... There's a, there's a couple of parts to this, right? We've talked a lot about Derek Carr, and obviously this team has struggled in the red zone for more than one season. This is not like suddenly a Josh McDaniels issue. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot about that. That was one of the big things coming over was the Patriots have been good in the red zone under Josh McDaniels. I've not been very good in the red zone under Josh McDaniels here in Las Vegas. So I think there's a big element that is Derek Carr related. I also think there's an element of... Uh, passiveness from the decision-making that the Raiders have. And when you, as an, as an offense settle for three field goals in one game that are shorter than an extra point, right? That means you are settling for extra. That means you are settling for field goals when you have you inside the tent, when you're in goal to go situations, right? They had a, they got to first and goal on the one yeah, and ended up yeah, kicking a field goal. Now field they went back. Right. They didn't kick it from the one, right. but they went backwards a little bit, but they had first and goal on the one and failed to put it in, and then Josh McDaniels did not go for it. Um, I do think there's a level of passiveness, and we talked about this a lot with John Gruden, who John Gruden was actually somewhat 
uh, aggressive until he got into field goal range. And then once he got into field goal range, he was very passive and was going to take the points and was going to kick it with Daniel Carlson. So far, we have seen Josh McDaniels be pretty passive when he gets into field goal range. He's not going to take the, or he is going to take the points. He's not going to try to go for it. And that, I think, is an interesting part here. And to bring up a point, um, Mina Kimes made this on ESPN, and I thought it was interesting. The whole narrative in the NFL around going for it on fourth down, right? It usually, the, the, the arguments usually stem from guy who played or coached in the NFL for a long time doesn't want to go for it versus guy that, uh, you know, has the spreadsheet and the analytics and the numbers says you should be going for it. And the fascinating part that Mina Kimes brought up is that in almost every situation, the former player or coach would be all about aggressiveness, the alpha male, right? Take the game by your own hands and be aggressive that would normally be the team that would go for it, right? right but somehow right. this argument has flipped to where the people that used to play the sport, the people that'll tell you it's a man's game, you got to right. be a man, you got to play through injuries, they're all choosing the passive side. Right. They're the ones that are all like, ah, whew, you can't go for it. We can get three. Right, you got to kick the field goal. And it's the you know supposed nerds with the spreadsheet and the broken glasses and the calculators that are like, you got to be the alpha male and go for it. And I think... I thought that was, I mean, Kimes brought that up. I thought that was an interesting point where in almost every other situation in sports or in life, we would associate the aggressive behavior with the people who played the game. Right. But in this scenario, for whatever reason, it's, oh, well, you know, we should kick here, guys. Let's, let's take it easy. Let's just kick and take the points. And the other part of this, by the way, if you're, if you're take the Ravens, cause they got a lot of crap for, you know, going forward on that fourth down late. Lamar Jackson might win the MVP. Why wouldn't you want Lamar Jackson with the ball in his hands? Right? Of course you want Lamar Jackson. If, if you have a bad quarterback, maybe like, eh, maybe we don't trust that guy to, to actually put some points on the board. But if you've got good offensive players, you should trust him and you should be aggressive. So you're so, saying Brandon Staley never played at a high level. <laughs> hey, he's been actually kind of passive this year. Uh, he was against the Raiders. Right. He was he, against the Raiders. He's a couple passive. times in the press box, we're like, oh, okay, they're going for it. Right. It's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Yeah, kicking out here. So he's been a little passive. But yeah, um, it, it's an interesting point that normally you would have the former coach or player being like, oh, yeah, you got to be aggressive. And in reality, they're the ones that are all passive and want to take the points. And they're, and we've talked about it before. My biggest point is the decision making on fourth downs. It always comes down to so many people are deciding their decision making is based on how do I not lose? Mm-hmm. When in reality, your decision making should be how do I how win do I win the game? Because take the Ravens as an example, right? Why did they get criticized? Because they went for it on fourth down when they could have in a tie game with four minutes left when they could have kicked a field goal to take a three point lead, right? With their kicker, right? They could have taken the three points. They could have been up by three with four minutes to go. But if you look at what happened in that game, Buffalo then drove down the field, got in a goal to go scenario and ran the clock out and kicked a game-winning field goal mm-hmm. to win by three points. If the Ravens had taken the points, if the Ravens had been up by three points, the Bills had goal to go and ran the clock out. The Bills very likely score a touchdown and win the game anyways, right? But they lost by three because Buffalo ran the clock out. And people are like, ah, if you had taken those three points, you would have been in overtime. Probably not. You probably would have lost by four right. instead because Buffalo would have found a way to score a touchdown. Likely, again. They still would have had to have done it, but they drove down the field pretty easily. So it's it's all about 
winning the game, not coaching to not lose the game, which is what I think a lot of people do. And I would like to see Josh McDaniels be more aggressive, especially if the Raiders are going to keep playing close games. Well, I thought he's thrown a lot on second and third down in they the have. red zone. They have until he last runs, week. And if it doesn't happen, second and third down, he he passes the ball. Until last week, they've had a pretty high pass rate, right? The higher than normal pass rate, or average, I should say, pass rate in the NFL. They have been throwing it a lot more than they have been running it, and a lot more than the average team has. And that's, to me, that's expected, right? Like you have Adams, Ren- well, he's hurt, hurt, but Adams, Renfro, and Waller, and you gave Carr the big deal, like, I would expect them to throw the ball a lot. That's where they built the team. Um, And that's fine. I have no problem with them throwing a lot. Maybe they should run it a little bit more after this past week, but it's still the biggest decision-making coaches have is what do you do on fourth downs? Right. Do you go for it or do you punt or kick or whatever? And so many of them are not aggressive. You know who Doug Peterson's aggressive in Jacksonville. I like that guy. He doesn't kick a whole lot. He goes for it when he should go for it. So does Green Bay. Chargers are actually pretty high too. So go for it. Better way to play football. Um, so do you, are we talking about this end of the season? Are we talking about a passive Josh McDaniels I mean, the entire season? I don't know if season? we're talking about a passive Josh McDaniels, but I, can, I haven't seen anything in the red zone where we're not talking about it. I mean, this dates before this year. They're just not very good in the red zone. It doesn't make any sense. They're just not very good. First and goal from the one, I was sitting there. It's like I almost had written it down on the paper. Okay, touchdown. touchdown. I, already, I mean, you know, because obviously they're going to get in now the way Josh Jacobs is running the ball today. And uh, they still couldn't. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. That what Darren Waller got tackled at the one to yes. set up the set up that possession yep. that field Thought goal. He was going to get in, but he didn't. Man, that's rough. You gotta you gotta punch it in from there. Get to the one yard line. You gotta score a touchdown. Granted, they won the game. Still won because Denver's offense is atrocious. So what happens on Monday night? Does McDaniel's change and become more aggressive because he knows he's playing Kansas City and think, okay, we got to score points? I don't know. I think it's hard to flip the switch. I think it is too. I think it's a, you kind of are who you are. You get down to the ten yard line and it's fourth and four. I, I think you you're kicking Carlson, the field goal. You bring Carlson on, depending yeah. on the time and uh, yes, time obviously of the game. I mean, you're down he's two scores in the fourth. He's, he's chasing, but right. But first, first quarter, first, first, first half, quarter, he's taking his points. I think so too, which I, is going to be disappointing. Because I, in all seriousness, if they if they play close games, those are the scenarios that you need to come up with the extra four points that are going to mm-hmm. give you some more wins in the future. Right, the kicking the field goal over and over and over, most likely. Well, you're gonna lose. It's okay because Jason has us down, uh, has them down, winning six of seven after the uh, bye. <laughs> he did mention. I say this though, because I thought the schedule at the beginning of the year we said schedule gets tougher after the bye. Like that's what we said, and maybe because we were thinking the other teams were you know better than they started to be or have proven to be, but. He did mention a lot of really winnable games. It's so right after the bye, Texans, Saints, Jags. Yeah. Which before the season, we would have said Texans and Jags, those are wins. Saints is going to be tough on the road. Right. Now it's Texans and Saints should be wins. Jags, Jags is going to be tough on the could road. Could be a loss. But after that, Colts have looked bad, but they were supposed to be a playoff team, right? right. To Denver, they look terrible than we thought. Seattle was always expected to be bad. Then Chargers should be a playoff team. Rams should be a playoff team. Patriots expected to be. They're expected the to be better than they were. Right. Or they are. At Steelers, expected to be in the hunt. 49ers, playoff team. Chiefs, playoff team. Right. So it still gets very tough at the end. But because the Saints don't look as good, the Colts don't look as good, the Broncos don't look as good, the Patriots don't look as good, the Steelers don't look as good. There's about five teams that have downgraded on the schedule. They might, and I don't know where they're going to be at this point, but they might also get very fortunate that the Chiefs are the last game. Right. They could. 
that could be Kansas City. Because the Chiefs City. have wrapped it up, they're, and they're on the road. Yeah. We'll see. I would get. Uh, we'll see. Well, I mean, if they're playing, now they, they could be playing, playing for, for home field seed. throughout, right? And it then could be. Seed. It could be them in Buffalo, right. and they need to win. And they need to win the game. Um, but I will say, is as easy as Texans, Saints, Jags, Colts, Broncos sounds, and Seahawks is the next six after the bye. I have a hard time seeing this team go five and one. I don't think they're good enough to just say, "Oh yeah, they're going to run through most of right. those teams." Like they're going to lose games where they're expected to win, where they're favorites. Right? They're going to go. They're going to go to the Saints, be a two point yeah. favorite, and and lose. Right? They're going to be home against the Colts or something, and be a four point favorite and lose. Like it's they're going to do that at some point because they're just not good enough to just write in. Oh yeah, they're going to win when they're favored. It's just it's not going to happen. They'll lose games when they're favored, and I don't trust them enough to run through those six games at five and one. And here's the thing: if they're one and four, even if they rip through those games at five and one, you're six and five. Yeah, you're, that's why. So you're in the hunt. I, but I counted up Jason's wins. I said you're still at eight. Right, you're six and five, and then you're playing Chargers, Rams, Patriots, Steelers, Niners, Chiefs. Right, like you still have to find at least three, three more wins. wins, and maybe four, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out. And that's kind of hard to do. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Bischoff's Briefs. Get mad. I don't want your damn lemons. What am I supposed to do with these? Bischoff's Briefs. Demand to see life's manager. Bischoff's Briefs. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's going to burn your house down with the lemons. All right, we have uh, a terrific story. Uh, I'm a big fan of any cheating stories, and this one is great. Two guys got caught cheating at a fishing tournament. Oh, they, so good. So they had um, their fish weighed, right? You go fish, and right. then you weigh them to see how much they yeah. weigh, and, and the winner is whoever has the most or high, highest uh, weight. The tournament director, as he was weighing the fish, he thought that the fish weighed more than what they looked like. Uh, there was a five fish haul, and the tournament director talked to Yahoo about this, and he said that he thought, "Hey, it might come in, you know, between eighteen and twenty-two pounds." It came in at thirty-three point six pounds, eleven more pounds than he was expecting. And apparently, during the weigh-in, um, there were people yelling that were also in the tournament. One uh, other fisherman said, "Damn, thirty-three." Somebody else said to another fisherman, your fish are so much bigger than his. And a third said, no bleeping way. So after the weighing, the tournament director went over to these the guys who just won, got their fish, took a knife, and just cut it open and pulled out a lead weight. <laughs> <laughs> and... Not only did he pull out a lead weight, Just, he also pulled out little fillets yep. of other fish that were apparently in there, A, to help boost the weight, but also to keep the lead weights from hitting each other inside the fish, clanking together, so that you would obviously hear when you pick up the fish, oh, right. there's something in here. Right. That was their strategy to keep the, the lead weights from clanking around. There's a video of this, and it is great. phenomenal. Yeah. The, the, the tournament screaming director... screaming and the swearing and the vile of the other fishermen towards these two buffoons. Phenomenal. So the tournament director cuts open the fish, sticks his hand in there, pulls out a weight, and then immediately gives the fisherman like an umpire ejecting a manager. (laughs) 
just like throws him out of here, right? And then everybody starts cussing, right? So some of the quotes from the video, how many bleeping tournaments have you done this mother bleeper? Don't we need to file a police report? Where's your crown now? You were the champ dude. We all bleeping knew it. You bleeped over a lot of people, and they've been doing this bleep for years. Now, the tournament director... The other one said you should be in jail. Right. The tournament director, now after giving the guy the ejection, actually um, became the calm one in the scenario (laughs) and was like, he told the guy, the guy's name was Jake. He's like, Jake, you need to leave. And he was yelling at everybody else, don't touch him. Like, let this guy leave because they were pissed enough that... There, oh, there could have been a brawl. It might have been bad. Yeah, now, okay, a couple details from this Yahoo story about it. First off, apparently fishing tournaments and cheating is just incredible. Like rampant? Oh, it's it's so common that tournaments apparently make the winners take polygraph tests after the tournament. Why don't they just cut open the fish? Like the one tournament director well, did. So well, one of the ways that you can cheat, according to this story, is you stash away a fish on your boat. And, oh, then, okay. and then you go out, and you, you're gone yeah. for however many hours, and right. you come back and say, oh, look at this one I caught that you really caught earlier in the week or something okay. like that, and you didn't actually catch it during... The tournament know, time. The tournament, right? So that's, there's And there's other ways that goes through this. But these two guys that uh, they cut open their fish and found the lead weights in, um, they... Were, they've been accused, or I shouldn't say accused, it's estimated that they won $400,000 from this tournament and endorsements in like the last month or something like that. Uh, but they earlier this year, they've been like accused of cheating before. Earlier this year, they won a tournament and then the grand prize was a boat, right? And they were not able to collect the grand prize because one of them failed the polygraph test. Oh. And so that tournament was like, well, we can't give you the grand prize because you failed the polygraph test. They also had a tournament where a camera crew followed them. And they won the tournament with the camera crew, and there was no evidence of cheating, right? And the tournament director, who ejected the one guy, um, he's actually quoted in this story being like, that was a big relief to me. He was like, because I know everybody else has suspected and accused them of cheating. Right. But when they went out and with the camera crew following them, won a tournament, and there was no evidence that they were cheating, he was like, they cleared their names, right? Like, they won a tournament while somebody was there with the camera. They obviously weren't out there stuffing lead weights into the fish while the camera crew was following them. But then they ended up stuffing lead weights into fish and getting ejected here. And... It's oh, there was one other detail. Um, a lot of people were suspicious because at a, the end of a lot of these tournaments, there's apparently a company that will come and clean the fish and get the meat off of it, and then and these don- guys didn't allow and it. donate that to food banks right, because right. these guys come from all over the world to wherever city they're having. They're this, not taking and the then, fish, right? They go back home. Right. They're not taking the fish with them. Whatever these guys would not donate their fish to the food banks, and so people were suspicious. Like, well. Why? Why wouldn't you do that? Right. What are you doing with the fish? Right. right? And it's because they had lead weights in them. And so, yeah. Oh, absolutely phenomenal so it's story. two guys. Two guys, and they've apparently just been dominant. One of the people quoted in the Yahoo story was like, listen, he was like, let's compare it to golf. Outside of Tiger Woods, it's very hard for the best golfers in the world 
to win two tournaments in a row. Right. Three, four, five tournaments in a row is basically impossible. No, it's impossible. And he's like, that's what these guys have done. He's like, there's so much variance in fishing, right? Where you you have a bad day, right? Where he was like, the wind can blow the wrong way. The right. weather can, like, whatever. Right. He's like, people don't win four or five tournaments in a row in fishing. And he's like, that's what these guys are doing. They're winning too much. And it's ah. just, it's just phenomenal. It's the Goodfellas uh, thing. Like, you got to, you got to be, yeah. you got to lay low. Right. Yes. You got to, you got to cheat at certain times, not just every lose a, single Lose a couple in a row. Right. And I think the, to me, the biggest thing is that all these people that, have, that are in fishing, they've been doing it their whole lives, whatever. The, the tournament director's quote is saying is like, we all have a pretty good idea when we see a fish how much it weighs. And They're probably so, experts. They can probably tell right. you down to the outs. And he was like, the first fish they weighed for these guys, he was like, I was expecting it to be between three and four pounds, and it was 7.2. And he was like, I knew I probably had a problem right then right. when I weighed that at 7.2. And so it's like, I don't know. It, to me, it all comes back to if you're going to cheat, you've got to do it uh, in moderation almost, right? You can't put two lead weights and a fish fillet in there. That makes it go from three that makes, and a that half doubles the doubles the weight to of it. Seven, right, you need to steal. Well, especially half a when pound you know there. the people weighing these things are experts. Right, you've got to steal half a pound in there. And here's what I, I don't. Well, I don't know. They've been accused of it before, but here's what I'm guessing. They just they just never were caught, so they just kept doing it. Right, right? they were like, what? We well, we failed a polygraph test one time, right? But we we're not we don't get caught doing this. So why wouldn't we keep pushing the boundaries here, right? Oh, and the other part, the um. This was like the last tournament, I think, of a tour, and there was like a grand prize forever who was the best over the whole time. According to the tournament director, they from their five fish, they needed 16 pounds, and they would have won first place overall and this massive more prize. Money. And they put enough weights in there to, to get to 33 pounds. Like, that's just egregious. Are they bright cheaters? <laughs> or just buffoons? Like, that's just egregious. Because like it, because here's the thing: if they had, if it was like, ah, oh, everybody thinks they're going to weigh six, seventeen pounds, right? We think their fish are going to weigh seventeen, and it came in at nineteen, right? Right? People might be, huh? All right, but they wouldn't be like, oh, these bleeping guys. You'd be like, oh, okay, maybe I was off a little bit. Maybe that fish is a little fatter than I thought. Right. But when everybody's thinking it's going to be seventeen or eighteen, and it's thirty-three, they had an issue. Oh, I love these guys. <laughs> I loved the shot uh, that you put. That you put the Twitter video on it. Where he's bending down, just cutting open the fish oh. and tossing the weights into yes. like a bucket. Oh, it's like great. tossing the weights into a bucket, and he's like, "I need pictures of this." It's a great. Video. I need pictures of this. Should we file Beautiful. a police report? Oh, all these people are like, "We need to, we need to bust them for felony fraud." Oh yeah, they need to go to jail. One guy screaming, years. "You should be in jail!" Yeah. Oh, it's it's terrific. All right, coming up next, we'll get back into some Golden Knights with Danny Webster. Um, I, I like to have action. It kind of sucks sometimes when you're sitting there for like eight minutes without a shot. So it's, it's nice to have consistent shots, but I don't know if I'd want 53 in there. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now, Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun. All right, Danny, the Golden Knights actually won a preseason game last night, but uh, Bruce Cassidy seems to think the fourth line isn't any good. Does the fourth line suck? Well, good morning, guys. Uh, (laughs) That that fourth line has not looked fairly well to start, and I don't know if it's just an adjustment to Cassidy's system or if it's anything else of the sort, but right now, 
Nick Waugh does not look like Nick Waugh. Keegan Colsar struggled last night, and Paul Cotter, I think, is still trying very hard to crack this lineup. So there are a lot of factors into that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's, it's weird. That, that fourth line is not looking good right now. And what did you make of him saying that uh, Carlson's line could be the uh, line that he needs to do what the fourth line is supposed to be doing? That's, that was kind of weird, don't you think, when you look at the personnel of that group. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I think the way that uh, Cassidy explained it the other day, he'd like to roll four lines. Um, and, and even he said, I think he wanted to give the fourth line as much as like 11 to 12 minutes a night. And if they can't produce offensively like that, you'll, you'll probably see more minutes for the Carlson line. And that, and that line, I wrote it in my story last night, I think that line, given how, much, how many reps the starters have had, has been the most consistent line throughout camp. And when they get set up in the offensive zone, they've looked really good. So if they can continue to keep that up, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't get those extra minutes that you'd probably allot to that fourth line. Uh, Bruce Cassidy said last night, he used the phrase shutdown role uh, when he was talking about the fourth line or the role that he wanted the fourth line to play. Am I like reading too much into it or is he going to expect his third and or fourth line to go out there against other teams first lines on a somewhat regular basis? Probably. I think the way that Cassidy has kind of rolled things out before is that he's like to start the fourth line, kind of like what Pete DeBoer used to do and use them in a sense to be that kind of shut down line to face against teams that want to roll out their first and second line. So it wouldn't really shock me if that's where they wanted to go. That, But if you're looking for more of a shutdown sense, I mean, I would like to think that the third line would probably have more of, a, of an advantage to that than the fourth line. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of rolls it around before next Tuesday and see how he allots that ice time. But yeah, I, I think if you're looking for a shutdown type of role, that third line might be a little bit more understandable than the fourth line at this point. How long defensively is it going to take for them to get it? I think it's probably going to take at least a month. I, I, I know that seems a lot, but you're talking about a completely different system. You're talking about a completely different play in the neutral zone. This this is going to take some time. It's going to take a, it's going to be a work in progress. They're still trying to work Mark Stone back into the lineup at a full 100%. Even though he says he feels great, and even though that he's looked pretty good in practice, it's going to take time for him to get acclimated. I think it's going to take time for this group as a whole, because I don't think whatever the lineup we see on Tuesday night, I don't think it's going to be reflective of what we see probably a month from now. It's probably going to be a lot of interchanging parts. You still have to take into fact that Nick Haig might still be in the lineup at some point, maybe whenever, who knows, I don't know. Um, there, there's that situation that still needs to be resolved. Um, I, this is going to take some time, and it wouldn't shock me if the Golden Knights struggle out of the gate, especially on the defensive side. And if they do, I think a lot of people just need to pump the brakes a little bit, not you know, make sure you step away from the ledge and uh, understand that this is probably going to take a little bit. If it takes a month in that sort of first month of the season, do you think they're they're bad, like giving up seven goals and giving up fifty three shots, or do you just think they're just not good, like they're more average? Like how how bad is it going to be while they're still adjusting to Bruce Cassidy's defensive system? I think the talent overall will override the fact of their defense their defensive deficiencies. I I think when you look at this team, there's still enough talent on this group to where they can win a few games to start in October and look fairly decent. But I don't think it's going to look as perfect as I think a lot of people hope it would be. I think when you look at 
the schedule, at least through October, there are some winnable games. And as long as you can win those games in the first month, it's going to be fine. But there are going to be some really big challenges, especially coming out of the Pacific Division. And then you're playing Colorado midway through the month that can they at least compete with those teams and can they at least show that they can hang? So I, I don't think it's going to be like completely bad where they're giving up seven goals and 50 shots. Um, I, I don't think they're going to get their best from the Arizona Coyotes going forward like they did the other night. But uh, I, I think that there's going to be some struggling points, but I don't think it's going to be that bad. Did it give you cause uh, in terms of Laurent Bassois skating that he might be back uh, sooner than people thought he would be? That's really the, the wild card here, and, and I, I have no insight to this, but I, I still don't see how he could be ready for opening night or even maybe the first couple of weeks of the season cause, just because of the fact that he has not practiced yet. And it, it probably is a little bit easier for goalies to come back from injury, whereas if you're trying to be like Nick Hague, who's still waiting for a contract, and he has to come right in and learn a completely new system, I think it's a little bit different in that regard. But I, I, I think if I had to guess, I, I don't know if Brassois is back for the first couple weeks, maybe a month into the season, and then they got to work him back in. So I think we're, we're fairly confident at this point it's going to be Thompson and Hill uh, going forward for at least the first month. At least that would be my guess. Will uh, Ben Hutton or Caden Korzak or Jake Bischoff, will any of those players be good enough that the Golden Knights don't feel the pressure to get a deal done with Nick Hague? Well, Tyler, as much as I would like to say that Jake Bischoff will be good enough to do that <laughs> for you, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that would be the case, uh, though he has had a really good camp. Um, I think the way that this organization has confidence in Ben Hutton, given how he played last year, I think gives them some, some sort of relief that if they were going into the season without Nick Hague under contract, that at least that sixth spot would be somewhat solidified. And, and the same would go for Caden Korzak if they felt like that he was ready for NHL time and they felt like he was an appropriate uh, body for the seventh spot and they, and they can intertwine with, uh, with Hutton and Korzak for that sixth spot. I think, and also the thing with that, Zach Whitecloud, I think, has become such a steady presence as a third-pairing defenseman that whoever you put with him on that third pair, I think, is going to help that group immensely. And I think Whitecloud is probably poised to have himself a big year this year. He's already looked really good in in camp. He had a really good uh, couple of games already. So I think that given the fact that he's ready to probably take that next leap into being a reliable defenseman, I think helps that pair and helps that decor a lot. So no matter who they put in as a sixth guy, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, is it better than Logan Thompson seemed to have won the job than, you know, just kind of tossing it up and giving it to one of them? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think and, and if, I don't know if we can definitively say that Logan Thompson has done enough to say that he's won the job considering he's made one start and it was against – I can't even remember who it was. It was a Colorado, and it was their B team. So I, I, I don't know if we've gotten the full extent there. But he is playing on Thursday. The Kings are probably going to play most of their NHL lineup on Thursday. So I think that's probably going to be the best look that we're going to have of Logan Thompson in the preseason. And, and, and I think he's kind of earned the right to at least start the year with the job, given how things unfolded last year. And, of course, it, he wasn't perfect. He'll admit it by all stretches. But 
you know, he's at least earned the chance to see what he can do for a majority of the season. And I, I think that enough is for Bruce Cassidy to uh, give, him the, give him the faith and see what he can do with it. Big picture question. Is this a playoff team? I think right now, yes. Um, I, I think they can squeak by in this division. I, I think a lot of people aren't really grasping how good this division got over the summer. Um, obviously, the way Calgary rebounded after losing Gaudreau and Kachuk, um, then they rebounded very nicely. Edmonton, I think, is still going to be good. The Kings, I think, are going to be a little bit better. Uh, the Kraken, I know they're probably not going to make the playoffs, but the fact that they made the moves that they did and who they got in the draft with Shane Wright, I think they're going to be a much better team, a much more competitive team. This division is no longer a cakewalk, and I think that if the Golden Knights are going to get back to the playoffs, they're going to need to play as well with their, within their depth as they possibly can. And right now, I think they can. But, of course, i got to stay healthy and not lose 500-man games. So there is that, too. <laughs> Bigger picture question. Is it time for all of us to get the hell back to work? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody should be taking a trip to Montana, uh, especially, <laughs> especially you guys. Uh, get the hell back to work, and uh, we'll reconvene the next time we see each other. He's Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun. Danny, we appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, guys. Take care. Get the hell uh, back to work. Cassidy. Can I you like, imagine I like said Bruce that? Cassidy yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. You we're, went off the stage, uh, Bruce, the plane for Montana, the two <laughs> private planes for Montana. You just gave up seven. Yeah. We're flying to Montana. He now. would have rather gone back to City National and held like oh, a two-hour practice. 100%. He's like, can we hold those planes? <laughs> the scene from Miracle make them just yes. do <laughs> the yes. entire ice back and forth. <laughs> exactly. and it's like, now Again. you can go to Montana. Again. He's going to be great for us all year, right? He's going to give us great quotes. Like, I mean, we preseason game that they won granted that they gave up 53 shots but preseason game that they won and he all by himself in the post-game interview is like this fourth line pff, these guys are nowhere close to where they need to be it's like what <laughs> this is gonna be great yeah like we're gonna get like they're gonna be they're gonna go on like a 10-game win streak yeah. and he's gonna come in and be like huh alex petrangelo tonight he was awful do you think that has anything to do with that he came from the east coast media maybe that he's just it that, doesn't bother him that he can right that he can just yeah, do that criticize people and it have right. no issue maybe yeah hopefully hopefully oh, he hopefully just, he just continues it yeah but it, to me it's it's the funniest part about the question about his answer about the fourth line last night again he was talking about William Carlson he wasn't like it wasn't about the fourth right. line he just veered into that all by himself <laughs> he's like yeah William Carlson's great he's gonna have to do the job of this bum fourth line that can't do it <laughs> like all right good job Bruce Cassidy all right. Tickets to give away to go see the Scorpions with special guest White Snake. They are playing at Michelob Ultra Arena on Friday, October 21st. We'll take caller number eight. Phone number is 702-364-1100. We'll do caller number eight at 702-364-1100. You will win a pair of tickets to go see the Scorpions with White Snake on October 21st at Michelob Ultra Arena. Judge hitting 310 after the one hit in game one.
One and one to Aaron Judge. Here's the pitch. And there's a swing and there's a high fly ball to deep left field. Bubba Thompson back. He's at the wall. That ball is history. Aaron Judge has broken the American League home run record. The Yankees are pouring out of the dugout to greet him at home plate. Here's the one one. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. You're locked in the press box. Have you seen the story about the queen and of Denmark? I have not. So I didn't know there was a king or a queen or a royal family in Denmark. But there's a queen in Denmark. And last week, she has eight grandchildren. She stripped four of them of their royal titles. So Did they cheat in a fishing tournament? <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? So oh. uh, the grandchildren are called prince and princesses mm-hmm. and she stripped them of those titles i think their new title is count and countess or something like that um but but again only stripped four of them which is to me the funniest part that she didn't just like ah, none of you are worthy she's like you <laughs> half are good you half are not good um one of her sons was quoted as saying my children are sad. My kids don't know which leg to stand on. Why should their identity be removed? Why must they be punished? And no one ever said why she punished them? So today, apparently, or yesterday, I guess, she uh, put out a for- the queen put out a formal statement in Denmark saying that she was sorry for the strong reactions. Not for by stripping her. them, but by the strong her. reactions. Or by no, her or the reactions uh, to her doing to her. That's, the reactions yeah, to her. That's right. the definition of, uh, I'm, a sorry to, I'm sorry to anyone I offended. Right. She's not sorry she did it. She's sorry that people were mad at her about it. But she also said she's not going to change her mind. And this is, this is what was part of the statement, that it's, it's nece- a necessary future proofing of the monarchy. Boy, those four must have just been duds. <laughs> like, Imagine how bad those kids were. She looked at four of eight grandchildren and said, nah, nah, you are not worthy. You're not good enough. If something happens and one of you four bums has to be <laughs> wearing the crown, this country is doomed. <laughs> Incredible. And by a the way, largely ceremonial role. Right. And like, <laughs> I don't know a lot about Denmark. Again, I didn't know they had a royal family until this story. You knew they had a soccer team. Uh, I did know that. Um, but I was, I don't, does, does their king and queen matter? Like in England, the queen doesn't like, it's not like political no, decisions are made by the, right. 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 She can, the, well, she could, she's dead. How do I, anyway, she could have uh, declared nuclear war. That was what that is one of the powers that she has. She had? Yeah. So now Charles has that power? Right. Are you serious about that? Oh man. Yeah. Like, we might all be doomed. Like, okay, you kind of can't make any decisions about the country, but if you want to drop a nuke on somebody, <laughs> you it's go all right you. ahead. All you. I'm pretty sure that the prime minister has to go to her in order to be like <laughs> 
Can we 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 are we kind of needed to, to launch these five minutes ago, but I had to get a car over here. That might actually not be the worst uh, sort of fail safe in, pr- in place, right? Instead of just having one person that can walk over yeah, and hit the button. Yeah, that's me too. You got to be like, all right. Yeah, you have to the convince The prime him. minister made a decision, and now to... there's this 92-year-old uh, lady. Go ask her if well, it's okay. I'll tell you what. I put more faith in her being gone than Charles alive. <laughs> How old is Charles? What do you think, Jared? He's got to be in his 70s. Yeah, he's got to. He has to be in his 70s. Yes, in his 70s. Is that is that a bad time to become king? I don't think it's ever a bad time to be king. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. Why you want to be like you want to be like a 40 year old king? Well, okay, all right. You want to be like William when he takes over? Becoming king or queen, I'm guessing there's a lot more responsibilities, even in a figurehead role. Then there is what was sure, he before? Sure, you meet with the prime minister. <laughs> yeah, whatever the hell his position was before. When you're not the king or the queen, so he's in his seventies, right? Which means he's now he's lived like his entire life, and now he's got to take on all these added, added responsibilities. responsibilities. But that's exactly what we do with people becoming president. Right, we're we're idiots too, no <laughs> doubt about it. But I'm just saying, like, if you were going to become king. You would want to take on all those responsibilities when you were like 31. Right. Right? When you're like, ah, still full of energy. When she became the queen. Right. My body still works. Right? <laughs> I can walk by myself places. <laughs> Not, uh-oh, might have to be carried up these stairs real quick to get real, to this meeting. Real quick? Yeah. The chairlift isn't working. <laughs> right. <laughs> They got enough people to carry. You get a right? couple of those soldiers in the red outfits. Yeah, how many people are at the, the Royal funeral? Army? They can carry people up and down oh, some yeah. stairs. What I'm saying, it's like the word, like you, you inherit all of the responsibilities, and you're old. Like at least if you're going to inherit the responsibilities, it's when you're young, and when you can probably still enjoy being the, the benefits king. of being it. When you're like, can you even enjoy it when you're like 72 or 82 or 92? I'm just she seemed pretty happy. She seemed pretty happy at ninety. Yeah, I mean, you're still going to be happy. You're <laughs> you're the queen, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying, like the overall benefits and the overall like deficits, it's probably not not uh... nearly as good when you're 72, 82, whatever. You know, you want that when you're 32. Way better that way. I'm just saying, wouldn't want to be that. But I definitely wouldn't want to be the grandchildren that got prince and princess removed <laughs> in Denmark.